standing for our scripture lesson, continuing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. Some people believe the Old Testament and New Testament are two separate stories, but Paul connects us firmly and rooted in the past. As he says these words, beginning in verse 13, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Amen, dear saints. You may be seated. We're continuing today in the exciting fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians. But before we do, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you for your Lord uh, Jesus Christ given to us, the Lamb of God, that you sent him here, the eternally begotten Word of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, true God of true God. Thank you that we learned about him even in the Chalcedonian Creed today as well. Thank you that we can commit our souls to you through him. Now feed us, Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. A very well-known passage that touches on the context of the church's preaching ministry are the famous words of Paul from Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto justification, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Believing and speaking, the title of our sermon today really comes out of this first verse of the lesson that Elder Craig read a few moments ago, and that has its origin in Psalm 116. And as Craig mentioned, it's both an Old and New Testament concept as there's one covenant of grace and there's one seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom everything always pointed. Every word of God does. And so they naturally go together, speaking and believing. In most ordinary cases, there are exceptions. We don't exclude the littlest ones who die in the womb, who are elect unto glory. They never have the opportunity of overtly believing or speaking and yet can still be regenerated by the grace of God. But all those of age and ability under normal circumstances will always come to the point of believing and speaking, speaking of Jesus and believing in him. And therefore, let's make it our gospel goal on this resurrection day to faithfully believe in and speak of Jesus as God's redeemed church. Toward that end, studying together 1 Corinthians 4, 13 to 15, let's dive into it and look at the doctrine. Believing in Christ always leads to speaking of Christ. Now, we broached that in the introduction, but it's worthy of pursuit. Essentially, what is believing and speaking? Believing is the acknowledgement coming to the realization that regeneration has occurred in us, and as we hear the gospel preached, we immediately accede to it. Our hearts say, yes, Lord, that is the truth. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So that is believing. 
in confessing our faith we do before the church and the world. This is done in our baptisms at the Lord's Supper, in the songs we sing, in the confession of faith and catechisms, even the Chalcedonian one we read today. Praying, singing, and witnessing of Jesus to other people. So believing in Christ always leads to speaking of Christ. This is God's scriptural decree. Now it's interesting to me that the Bible itself both teaches and demands that this gracious arrangement as found in today's verse 13a will take place. Our very belief in the Holy Scriptures themselves, dears, is perfectly consistent with our saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. Our very belief in every word of the Holy Book, Old Testament or New, is perfectly consistent with our saving faith in the ultimate subject of that book, which is the person of Jesus Christ. So if we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe the Scripture. We believe it not because we're so smart or figured it out, but because we see the work of the Holy Spirit in us confirming the obvious truth that this is the revealed Word of God to us, to us sinners and all people everywhere. So the Holy Book can both command regenerate churchmen to speak of Christ and prophesy that indeed they always will. To make this all the more clear, listen to verse 13 again from today's lesson. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. So let's consider another amazing point. Believing in Christ always leads to speaking of Christ. This is God's scriptural decree, and it is never violated. Now, how could a decree of God or a sovereign decision or design of his ever be circumvented, violated, or defeated in any way? Answer, it cannot be. The decrees of God are inviolable. They absolutely will take place. And God's Holy Scripture decrees and predicts and prophesies that the truly regenerate members of his Holy Church, Old or New Covenant, will believe and speak his Christ's name. This is a wonderful truth indeed. Every human being who truly believes in Christ will speak his name. Now some of you might be wondering if maybe this divine stipulation was missed by you or whether because of your particular personalities, maybe being more reserved, more tentative, maybe more shy, maybe more introverted, you might wonder whether you have fulfilled this divine requirement and prediction. Well, my pastoral, gentle, and tender answer to you is this. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he has washed away all your sins? Have you come to his faithful church and confessed your faith, been baptized, been admitted to the church, and in some cases in older age to the Lord's Supper? Have you been able by grace to find yourself persevering in that church, Lord's Day to Lord's Day? Despite your flesh's willingness and desire to get away from that gospel, get away from that truth, get away from those hard sayings and those difficult doctrines, and yet they're, they're wonderful and beautiful and gracious, 
Have you found yourself in that position? Well, if so, I would say that you have both believed and spoken Jesus' name. You might say, well, I'm not the type to get out on the street and and broadcast with a megaphone and hand out flyers and pamphlets and tracts and things like that. Well, it's not necessary. The most important thing is what you do here. Every time you sing a hymn with meaning or a psalm or you confess your faith or you pray or you hear a sermon with faith or take the Lord's Supper, you are in a very real sense believing and speaking his name. And that should give you courage and confidence to go out into the world and do this all the more. On top of this, Paul also wrote these words from 1 Corinthians 12, 3, A and C. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So if you can overtly, faithfully, boldly say the words Jesus is Lord, Paul's saying that you can do that only in the Holy Spirit and that those who are not in the Holy Spirit cannot do that. So always... Keep that in mind. There's also a sense in which, as per Christ's own words from Matthew 12:34b, that everybody really does, in a sense, speak what they believe. Right? He says that what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. So anything that's in our hearts eventually is going to come out in one form or another. It's inevitable. And so even in the case of unbelievers and total hypocrites, uh, they do too. But for the faithful Christian, regenerate member of the church, this Christ-believing word expresses a glory so magnificent, so stupendous, so supernal, that we will spend an eternity marveling over it and musing on it. Let's look now at the verses. 13 to 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and appreciate the fruit of believing and speaking. It is true that today's text of Holy Scripture juxtaposes the first century ministry of Paul and his companions with the ancient congregation that met in that Grecian city of Corinth, which is the case, but they both get melded together in Christ and his resurrection in verse 14. So the believing and speaking that Paul mentions here applies to both them and us, for that matter. So faith and words form doctrine, and doctrine is the building blocks of the entire universe. Jesus Christ is the word of God. God creates the world through him, and doctrine is the building blocks of the church and the world, essentially. Every good thing, every truth emanates from Christ alone. There is no truth independent of him. And so let us now sincerely incorporate into our own hearts and lives the fruit of believing and speaking. First, it confirms saving grace in us, verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. Now, in our Christian education earlier today, we noted that this was cited from Psalm 116.10, and the Apostle Paul had used the LXX, the Septuagint, or Greek translation of the Hebrew, 
to translate this and, and to present it to the church and to codify it in Scripture in the New Testament forever. And it's a beautiful thing. We might ask the question, which came first, the chicken of an elect individual saving faith in Christ or the egg of the Holy Scripture's prediction that he or she would indeed believe and speak of God, speak of Christ. Well, in the mind of God, these two are perfectly coordinated. And in the experience of God's Christian, faithful, regenerated churchmen, what the Scriptures say we will do exactly harmonizes with what indeed we do do. And that's a beautiful and glorious thing. No one, dears, not one of you can have any assurance of your faith without Christ, without the gospel, without faith in Jesus, without baptism, without the ministry of the church, and without the profession of your faith in the Messiah. There's no way a person can have legitimate biblical assurance independent of any of those entities. Christ is gospel, is church. We need that. doesn't mean that a person might not be in Christ, but they can't have assurance. Assurance is a beautiful thing. And Paul is assuring the Corinthians here that they may have it. In verse 13, Paul identifies himself with the Corinthian Christians as he acknowledges that they had life from the earlier verse 12, and that now Paul and his fellow presbyters with whom he was ministering share in that same life with them in Christ Jesus. So for all of you, dear, contrite, humble, faithful, struggling, sinner saints who know yourselves to still have plenty of of trouble, sin, and yet you miraculously love God in Jesus Christ. You are a sinner saint. For all of you who may question yourself because of your many failures and weaknesses, my pastoral comfort for you are the promises of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1, 20, 21. The faithfulness of your Redeemer. And let me say this. If you are here today because you want to be here, this is where you want to be, and you are in full submission to Jesus Christ, which means in submission to his whole kingdom, including his eldership and others, then you should have good evidence, solid evidence and proof that you are in Christ Jesus. Now, if that isn't the case, and you don't really want to be here, and you're just doing it for convention or some other reason, well, we invite you to repent and believe and know this glorious life and the unsearchable riches of Jesus. The fruit of believing and speaking, it confirms saving grace in us, and it encourages living grace in us. Verse 14 knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Now, here Paul seems to be putting the Corinthians before himself again, as was his often used habit in verse 14. And I say this because he appears to logically, if not chronologically, precede, they, they appear to precede him, Paul, to the presence of God in heaven in just the way he's speaking. 
Not that it necessarily had to be that way. But the main thrust of what we want to see in this important verse 14, and what we need to take home with us, is that our resurrections in Christ greatly help and embolden and strengthen and encourage our life down here in this fallen, difficult world, this challenging place. Our resurrections embolden our hope and perseverance through Christ in this world. If you are in Christ Jesus, you have already experienced the first resurrection, which is the resurrection or the raising of your dead, lifeless soul from a state of rebellion and hatred for God to a state of life and grace and glory where, as per Ephesians 1, you now enjoy all the blessings of Christ in the heavenly places. That is a resurrection of the soul. And if you have that, it assures you that on the last great day of judgment, which any way you wish to look at it, biblically speaking, is very near in terms of the overall picture, not that we're making any prophecies, assures you that your bodies also will be raised to life. Corporal resurrection. Live your Christian lives in the resurrected person of your Lord Jesus. As you do this, your minds will already be in heaven, as per Colossians 3, 1 to 3, even while your bodies are still here on earth, as per this verse 14 of today's scripture lesson. All true and effective encouragement comes to you, the church from the living Christ. Nothing else works. All the world's efforts, all the world's promises, all the world's falsehoods will not give you what you need. You will find your life only in Christ. So what is the fruit of believing and speaking? It confirms saving grace. It encourages living grace. And finally, it excites evangelistic grace in us. Verse 15. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. That's an interesting verse. Isn't that beautiful? Notice how Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as always, starts in the church. It's all for your sake. Everything good starts in heaven, flows from the throne of God, through the Son of God, the Holy Spirit, down through the pulpit, the Lord's Supper, the church, and the world. And it's all for your sake. God is doing this. He starts here. Now, two Sundays ago, we got to experience this glorious dynamic in a special way as we exemplified in our own church ministry and outreach and evangelism and love for each other what it means to be a church and present that sort of picture to the world at Oktoberfest. And what a glorious Oktoberfest ministry it was. Personally, I think it was probably our, our most blessed one. And we're thankful for that. And there's something really great and beautiful about verse 15's language of, quote, grace extending to more and more people. And the best part of that goodness is that it, quote, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God, as we read about it at the end of verse 15. Now, there's, God is never concerned about numbers in his true church. Um, we're, I hope we never get too big, Right? get much bigger, we need to always start a new Redeemer church somewhere because God isn't concerned about numbers. Never. In fact, if you read the scripture, he seems to pare down the numbers. 
Tell people to count the cost. Can you really eat my flesh and drink my blood? Can you really accept this doctrine of election? Can you accept that I am the sovereign God who who knows all things and does all things well and makes all sovereign choices? God tends to do that. It is true that God is not at all concerned about numbers in a church. And the last thing you want to ever have on your radar screen is numbers. But having said that, we, the people of God, out of love for our Heavenly Father, are concerned to want His clear gospel message and the love of the community of a true church to be known by as many people as possible. I would hope that every person in the world would hear this sermon, for instance, or any other true gospel sermon, because that's love. That's wanting the best for people. And so it's our desire that our God would get tremendous expanded glory everywhere. And they would witness what a church does in loving each other. And we're told that by this all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So that's John thirteen thirty five. So our love for each other, as we exemplified even two weeks ago at Oktoberfest, and are doing even here today, is our greatest witnessing tool. Now, in the next verse 16, which, Lord willing, we hope to study next week, because of the expanding borders of the grace of God going out to more and more people, causing the amplification of thanksgiving given to the true God as the church expands, even as we prayed earlier, across the globe as the prophets all prophesied would happen, and it is, Because of that, Paul says, I do not lose heart. Paul had the faith in the written and incarnate word of God that God's promises were all yes and amen in Jesus. Again, 2 Corinthians 1, 20, 21. And he believed because of that, he did not need to ever lose heart. Even if they were going to imprison him, kill him, snuff out his ministry, whatever it might be, he would never lose heart. And you know what? You and I would lose heart if we didn't believe that Almighty God would fulfill every single one of his gracious gospel promises and commensurate with that, that he would defeat all his and our enemies, even as he promises to do in Psalm 110, 1 through 4, and many other places. So we have seen the doctrine and done some exegesis. Now let's do some more application of these interesting verses and marvel at what happens when the faithful church believes in and speaks of Christ. Well, something supernatural happens. Something amazing occurs when God's people love him and one another And through our faith in Jesus, we extol him with our voices, even as we did in song and will yet again today. When Jesus Christ is lovingly believed in and spoken of in the fallen world of sinners where we live today, not up in heaven where it's all easy and no resistance, but here where we're pushing against the constant opposition of the world, 
Satan's illicit and illusory kingdom, in quotes, takes a nosedive, and Christ's true gospel church kingdom is expanded and strengthened. No wonder the world, the flesh, and the devil try to squelch the church's gospel ministry. Let us now discover what happens when the faithful church believes in and speaks of Christ. First, the true and triune God is glorified. Do you know that we Westminster Christians cannot claim Westminster Shorter Catechism question and answer one only for ourselves? that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. There's a sense in which when God created Adam, that was the mission for all human beings. And though it is true that the redeemed, those born again in new life in Christ, those regenerated members of the loyal to God church are the only ones that experience that positively, God gets glory from everything from true faith and speaking, and from belligerent, hateful resistance and rebellion. God cannot be foiled. He gets glory in everything. He's always happy. God's always blissful. God never has a problem. But you and I in the church get to join him in this wonderful glory. Now, earlier in the sermon, we spoke of words as being the building blocks of the universe. Every single word of God's holy scripture, including these in 2 Corinthians 4, is inspired by the Holy Spirit, Old Testament and New. These words, when put into sentences, form concepts. And concepts that arise out of the holy book are doctrines, holy doctrines. And all doctrines taught us in the Bible direct us to the Word, the Logos, Christ of God. Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ is the final Word of God. He's the first, if you will, Word of God, not chronologically because he is eternal, but God spoke the world through him. And he is the final Word of God, and everything is returning to him, being subsumed under him. The faithful church and every rebellious soul. No one gets out of this process. And every word that redeemed church saints utter, as you have done even here today, in praise and thanks of God, flow out from faith in this word Christ logos of God. So if you said those words, sang those words, prayed those words, confessed those words, or hear these words with faith... It's flowing out of your faith in Christ, the Logos of God, whom we learn of through the words, concepts, and doctrines of the written Word of God, Old Testament and New. And how do we learn that? According to the Bible, through preaching. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10:17. The preaching of the Gospel, charismatic Word of God, unites us to Jesus Christ as his atoned for and forgiven church kingdom. This is how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is glorified, positively, although he's always glorified all the time in every way. What happens when the faithful church believes in and speaks of Christ? The true and triune God is glorified and all people are benefited. B-E-N-E-F-I-T-T-E-D. 
And when we say that, quote, all people are benefited, unquote, through the church's faith in Jesus and witness for him, we really mean that in sincerity. And we mean this despite the fact that those people who hear a clear gospel word and reject Jesus and his good news are indeed more accountable on the day of judgment than they would have been had they never heard the gospel. But the fact of the matter is that truth is always good for every rational creature, humans or angels. Truth is always good. And it enhances, in the case of humans, our state of being beings created in the image of God. So truth adds dignity and honor to who we are. The more truth we know in Jesus Christ, it's a good thing. Now, as Anselm years ago had his ontological argument for God, and in it claimed that the greatest being God must possess existence to be the greatest being, and that's a legitimate argument on the face of it. So we can analogously say that for people to be all that they can be, they must have truth, and that truth is only had in the person of truth, Jesus Christ our Lord. But how do we get that truth? Unless we hear the gospel word preached, as per the aforementioned Romans 10.17. And from where or whence is that gospel word preached? Does a minister just say anything he wants? Can something be called the charismatic word of God? Can preaching be called the word of God? If it's not based in the written word of God, answer no. It's based in the written word of God. And every word, every jot, every tittle, every phrase, every sentence, every verse, every chapter, Old Testament or New, brings us to Jesus Christ, the word of God. What does all this lead to? Well, in the lives and hearts of the elect, I'll tell you what it leads to. Faith in Christ, the Word of God. And it leads to our speaking His name and praise. So the question is, dears, how do you get faith? Well, I'll tell you how you get faith. It's a gift of God given to you, Ephesians 2.8. And unless he gives it to you, you'll never have it. But if you want Jesus Christ right now, you may have him. Faith is the gift of God. It's our responsibility to believe in Jesus. We have all the reason in the world to. All the evidence, all the proof is there. It's a gift of God. What will the wills of every regenerate person do? Believe in Christ and speak his glorious name with praise and thanksgiving. Beloved of God, believing and speaking is super important in the kingdom of God. Let us, as faithful members of the Redeemer Church, gladly and willingly believe in and speak Christ's name. Let's pray. 
Father, we do that now. We believe in the Lord Jesus and speak his name. Even as Paul said we would, and as your Bible predicted and prophesied would be the case, we're thankful that we do this willingly and freely because we're operating from a new nature given to us by God. We thank you that you get the glory, that your church gets built up in her most holy faith. Now bless your people here who truly believe and genuinely speak of Christ's name. May they be blessed in Jesus alone, in whose name we pray. Amen.